Welcome to the global phenomenon, Surviving the Survivor, where we bring you the best guests in all of true crime. What's up, FCS Nation, and welcome to another episode of Surviving the Survivor, the podcast that promises to bring you the very best guests in all of true crime, even if I'm coming to you with COVID, and even if I'm coming to you from my little corner home studio as opposed to global headquarters where it's <laughs> nice nice and quiet. So that's where we're at today. And uh, I've reached the stage, uh, and I'm going to bring her in for this. I've reached the stage of COVID and illness where the COE has publicly shamed me in front of my family and told me that I'm having a full-on mental uh meltdown not a nervous breakdown she took herself off why'd you take yourself off so we're, we've reached that point um but we're trying to get through it and uh coe you did a great job today any comments on your show today coe coe is muted she can unmute herself she's ignoring I just me. i have no comment huh. <laughs> that's still a comment so the coe did uh the COE did a show earlier today, an impromptu show, and that is because Katie Magbanawa of uh, Charlie Adelson fame of that trial, uh, she is now looking for some love, and uh, Gigi pointed that out. She's in prison for the rest of her life, but um, looking is that, is that for a pen pal, Gigi McKelvey? That Katie, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a ton of websites out there where you can be pen pals. This one though was. Um... Is it more than a pen pal or is this, is this like a prison um, visit kind of situation? No, it's just pen pal. And, but you, you have to pay to be on that one. It's And then you can be paid to, what was it, jail lady lovebirds? I don't know. It was some, what was it? Um, I got it still pulled up here. But yeah, so the minimum she pays to have this profile for a year is 40 bucks. That's for just a standard membership. 70 bucks to be featured for 12 months and then $100 for 12 months with a featured listing on both meetandinmate.com and jailbabes.com. So clearly looking for love. Mm, very interesting. Uh, Michelle Abbott says, yeah, she says uh, the COE is underrated. She's Joel's backbone. I want to get, uh, and the COE, I think, should have uh, a show. Um, and if you guys, this is my impromptu poll. She said, look, I was just hanging with Gigi. So I was like, what about the hang with the COE? Something along, like the best hang in true crime. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions on titles for future COE uh, type shows, uh, let us know. You can either put them in the chat or uh, you can email them us, email them to us at Surviving Survivor at gmail.com. Uh, but I agree with uh, Michelle Abbott. Uh, apologies to my family. Uh, they are annoyed with me, but uh, I'm going to try to take 19 steps outside after this to clear the head. Without further ado, um, we all know what happened now with uh, Becky Hill. There was this uh, impromptu hearing uh, regarding Alec Murdoch. Becky Hill was there, obviously. Um, and Alec Murdoch was trying to get a new uh, murder trial uh, in light of the fact that there were allegations brought against Becky Hill 
um, that she was jury tampering um, and tampering with witnesses. And uh, that all took place uh, Friday and yesterday. And our three guests were all there. How unusual is that? They were there for the uh, proceedings, and we're going to hear from uh, all of them. But ultimately, Judge Toll uh, denied this request by the defense, so there will not be a new murder trial. However, it appears it will go uh, to an even higher court, to uh, an appellate court. Um, Leading us off today, uh, a true South Carolina legend, Jack Swirling, with a great name, who is actually from, is it Brooklyn or the Bronx, Jack? I was born in the Bronx uh, and stayed there until I was 12 and then moved to Jersey. So uh, my dad wanted to move up in the world, uh, so we moved to Newark. And this is why I love Jack, because my own dad was born in the Bronx and moved to Jersey. Uh, This is why I feel an affinity to Jack Swirling. So Jack is... uh, Uh, Still uh, an active Columbia, South Carolina criminal attorney, a litigator, a writer, a lecturer, and he has been doing it since uh, 1973. Uh, He's been a South Carolina super lawyer and he was a partner. He was a partner in the law firm. Listen to the names here. Swirling is the first one. And then it goes Harpootlian after that. So uh, ahead of Dick Harpootlian. Uh, So obviously he has known Dick a long time. Uh, Next up, of course, uh, coming to us from Augusta, Georgia, is Neil Gordon. He is the publisher of Augusta Business Daily, and he is uh, the co-author of uh, Behind the Doors of Justice with the very controversial clerk of court, Becky Hill. And uh, we're going to talk to him all all about that in a moment. And he's also now hosting um, something called Trail Watchers. I'm going to have Neil... Uh, explain what that is in just a moment. And then, of course, last but not least, we've got Gigi McKelvey. Everyone knows Gigi. She is a rock star behind the microphone, uh, host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. She covered Murdoch, uh, gavel to gavel, knows all about it. She's covered Lori Vallow Daybell from before that was even um, an inkling of a story. And uh, she knows these cases inside out. And now she's on. Uh, Dan Markell murder and the Charlie Adelson. Without um, any further ado, Jack Swirling, what was it like for you? Uh, you've been practicing since 73. Um, I don't think there's any question unless you tell me otherwise that the Alec Murdoch case has been the seminal case of that entire time period. I don't know. Has there been a bigger case, Jack? I don't, I don't think there's been a bigger case. I think we've had a couple of very uh, sensational uh, homicide cases. Uh, but this one pretty much uh, has captured not only South Carolina attention, but uh, throughout the country and uh, overseas as well. So I'd have to say this is probably at the top of the list. Uh, what was interesting to me, um, I watched as much as I could, but uh, the minute I flipped it on, I saw um, Judge whole basically uh not dressing down but um taking absolutely um zero she had zero tolerance i would say for uh, dick harpootlian and basically told him to sit down um she was done talking to him at one point she did it in a very nice way um so two questions uh did that surprise you and secondly tell me a little bit about judge toll um she's been around a while well, she has. She's an extremely bright uh, individual. 
in fact, I've known her since 1970 when I was a freshman in law school. And her husband uh, was my contracts professor. So I go all the way back to 1970 with her. Uh, it's interesting that she and her husband were gr graduated, I think, in 1968 from the law school. And uh, they were number one and two in the class. So uh, you're talking about some extremely bright people. Uh, Justice Toll was a trial lawyer. Uh, she served in the legislature. Uh, in fact, I had uh, the privilege of trying a couple of cases with her as co-counsel. We, well, we represented co-defendants together. And then she uh, went on to the Supreme Court, and uh, I had the opportunity to appear in front of her a number of times. And so you could tell from her questioning yesterday uh, that she will really pepper someone with some pretty serious questions, and you have to really think on your feet very quickly. Uh, but she's uh, well-prepared, and she's bright, and uh, she controls her courtroom. Uh, she, As you could see during the hearing yesterday uh, and in the pretrial hearing, uh, she uh, knows how to control a courtroom and keep everybody uh, on, in line. Uh, Gigi McKelvey, uh, you never miss the action. Um, I always seem to miss the action. but um, And that's why I yelled at my kids. I said, look, as soon as this podcast is over, even if your pops can only take 21 steps before he, he's huffing and puffing like a lifetime cigar smoker, we're going outside for a few minutes. Well, we live in Florida. Um what was the atmosphere like when you went down there in person, in action? Uh, the courtroom was jam-packed. Um, looked like a courtroom straight out of um, a movie, by the way. It was huge. Um, but what, what was the atmosphere in there like? It was weird. I mean, it, first of all, it was deja vu because literally a year ago to the day, we're in court for the trial and never could have predicted a year later we would be back to see if there was going to be a new trial. But you know, there was a lot of uh, apprehension, just not knowing what the jurors were going to say once they got on the stand. And of course, the big part was we knew Becky Hill was going to be on the stand and we knew that um, Mr. Harputlian would be able to cross-examine her. So we kind of were anticipating some fireworks there. So it was just really surreal in a way. Um, I said it was like a high school reunion because all of us media that were there um, you know, you spend six weeks covering a trial with people. You get to know everybody. You become friends. You see each other out on the circuit at different trials. But it was just kind of weird in every sense of the word. But a lot of anticipation, just not knowing what was going to be testified to by the jurors or Becky. And uh, we it couldn't get started fast enough. And we're going to get right to Neil in a second. But there's a question here. And, and please keep them coming in because uh, my... Um, my train of thought is not working the way it normally does. So uh, keep the questions coming in and it'll be a, a good way to uh, get me back on track. But uh, Rosemary Romero here. Uh, what surprised you, Gigi, about Alec Murdoch in the courtroom and where were you sitting in the courtroom? Uh, I think the thing that surprised me the most is usually he's uh, a little bit more animated with other people, I guess. He smiles, says hello, talks a lot. He was a little more subdued to me yesterday. Of course, we only had a back shot of him. I was actually sitting in the first row um, of that elevated section. So you had the public at the bottom, and I was sort of more towards Alex's side. But yeah, you can see me uh, on because my grandma kept sending screenshots of me throughout the trial. There you are. There you are. <laughs> but yeah, so um, 
I just think that the 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 weight of that hearing was very evident with him. Um, he was fidgety with his hands a lot, kept them kind of like that. Um, yeah, so it was just a little bit more of a subdued, um, a little bit more deep in thought, I guess, or just anticipating what was going to come. Uh, by the way, welcome to all the alibiers, because I think uh, that Gigi figured out a way to uh, link us up. So a few alibiers are there. Uh, welcome. And uh, at least there's at least 10 of these to show Gigi rocks with her, uh, her, her, there you go. I can't do it now. Um, Neil Gordon, you are obviously in a very um, interesting situation here because there's two people who are the focal point, Alec Murdoch and Becky Hill. And you wrote a book with one of them and it wasn't Alec Murdoch. Um, Did you have, did did you have to be there yesterday or did you want to be there? That's, Question number one. Oh, I wanted to be there. Um, and really for no other reasons than just because I did not actually go to the trial in Walterboro. So this was my chance to kind of catch up with a lot of media people that I've met just promoting the book and a chance to uh, see Alex up close and personal. But mostly I just wanted to see Judge Toll command the courtroom. And despite what all has happened with the book, I still care a lot about the Hill family and Becky. And so I wanted to kind of be there for some support and also just to kind of see how everything went. Um, And just a couple other quick things. Um, I'm a New Yorker too. Hmm. Upstate, Albany, Buffalo, Elmira. And earlier you mentioned, I know we'll get into this later, uh, the brand, the true crime brand that we're launching is actually called Trial Watchers, trialwatchers.com. So I just wanted to throw that out. Something crazy. Did I talk, call it something crazy? No, trial. Trail, but I called it trail. Thought. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, was, I don't know, know why. Auto, I did that. On, on autocorrect. That's what happened. They don't like trial and it inverts it to trail. So it's not, it's not you, it's me. Uh, yeah, so, but anyway. so, tell, so tell us what happened with, uh, with trial or what is trial watchers? Tell us about that. It, it just has come out of um, my wife meeting so many wonderful people while she was in Walterboro and me meeting so many different people along the way, promoting the book that I've just kind of got, I feel like I'm one of them, a true crime fan now, which I was not before. Like to watch your podcasts. I I listen to uh, True Sunlight and Eric Bland and I, the lawyer you know, and Harvard lawyer Lee and Gigi. And I, I'm just, um, I guess, kind of obsessed in a nice way. And so out of that, um, uh, because I, I really enjoyed writing a book as we're working on a book, Trial Watchers. And it's all about the people who go to these trials, watch the podcast, get involved in chat rooms, social media, go to Crime Con, and they're invested and they're passionate in it. And so we're going to tell their stories and and maybe more importantly, why they're so invested in the true crime world. And so uh, my wife is, is, is helping me greatly with it because she was the first trial watcher that I knew of going there. And, uh, and I, partnered, I partnered with um, a, a longtime friend of mine, Mike Pachenik, who used to work with WSB television. And so we're, gonna, we're doing a book. 
we're producing a docu-series and maybe a podcast is on the horizon, but I'm going to have to get some pointers from you and Gigi because we've wow. not done that before. So that's, that's what trialwatchers.com yeah. is. Very interesting concept. Uh, watching or talking about the people that watch the trials, not the that's trials right. themselves. So there you go. That's uh, and I was And I was one of them. I was one of them yesterday, and I, it was just surreal for me. And Gigi and I spoke a little bit, um, I guess, in between with the with the breaks, and it, it was just wild and intense, and um, it just uh, I don't know. It was surreal for me and intense because Becky was on the stand, and you know you you feel for being on a stand and people coming at you for an hour and a half. <laughs> I'm sure Jack knows being on the other side. Um, it's probably not very fun. Yeah. No, um, you know, I totally, Gigi, I was going to go to Jack right now, which I, I want to do, but I meant to ask this during yesterday's show. Where do we know Gigi where Buster has been in all this? He was not in the courtroom yesterday, correct? No, he isn't. None of the family were there for the three recent hearings I went to. Um, okay. It's a little farther away, you know, than, than Walterboro for them. But uh -huh. um, I, I actually know somebody who lives in the same neighborhood as Buster. He's just gone on about his life, you know, just seems to be trying to find some normalcy after the trial of the century here in South Carolina. So, but, but and I wish saying, him well. He's, he's a sweet, he's a really sweet man. And he's staying put in South Carolina, at least for the time being, because some people said, hey, he might have to pick up and take off because it's just too small a state for him. No, and I think the community that they have found is very embracing to him and his girlfriend. And so, you know, I wish them well. Uh, Buster lost everything. Well, catastrophic for him, no doubt. Um, Jack Swirling. You're sort of the de facto uh, historian. I don't know if you want to comment on that at all. Buster really did lose everything as far as we know. There were accusations hurled at him and still have been or still are being about uh, the whole Stephen Smith murder, which uh, that investigation seems to have uh, stalled. But as a de facto historian here, Jack Swirling, how unusual was yesterday and, you know, it really began Friday, but in earnest yesterday, how unusual is it to have a hearing like that in the state of South Carolina? Well, I mean, it is unusual. Uh, it's not something that we deal with all the time, but a motion for a new trial, especially in a case like this, which was so high profile, uh, and the fact that there was such interest still in this case and will be for, I would imagine, years to come, uh, you know, it even drew me there to go ahead and sit throughout the day and watch everything because uh, I know all these people. I know all the personalities. I practice law with Harputlian. And uh, just to show you how incestuous it is, uh, Joe McCullough, who represented Juror Z, was <laughs> also a partner of ours. Yeah. Uh, so we were all in the courtroom yesterday. And, uh, you know, I enjoyed, of course, watching them. Uh, we're very close friends. Uh, and, I, you know, I think they went after what they believed needed to be uh, explored as far as whether or not there was interference uh, and whether or not it prejudiced uh, the outcome of the trial. Did it convince, uh, did Becky, uh, and the allegations that were made, Becky Hill, uh, did it convince any of the jurors to vote guilty instead of not guilty? So it was very dramatic, even for me, and I've tried dozens and dozens of murder cases. Uh, but for me, it was very exciting. I agree with what Gigi said. It's, it was a um, very intense. 
and you did not know what was going to happen or what people were going to say until they got on the witness stand and actually were placed under oath and were actually questioned by Judge Toll. Uh, you know, we all knew what they were supposed to say in their affidavits, uh, what, to whatever extent they were affidavits. But you never really know until they get on the witness stand and start testifying. And I, and I think that that was evident yesterday because particularly Juror Z, uh, who had given an affidavit but then testified to something a little bit more different that she was persuaded by Becky Hill to vote uh, guilty. Uh, it was inconsistent with what the affidavit she gave. So it really did not meet the level that uh, Judge Toll would want uh, to go ahead and say it was that the defense had proved prejudice. Uh, and even though there were allegations that she had made contact with the jury, but there were uh, there was no evidence of prejudice as far as the judge was concerned. And that's what she basically ruled on. Uh, there was no presumption of prejudice. Uh, but I think she hit a few points there yesterday to indicate that she didn't quite believe everything that was being said. Uh, and she had some difficulty with that. She was having some trouble with that. Uh, but in the end, uh, she decided that based on the burden of proof, that they had not met the burden of proof. Um, I ask weird questions sometimes, Jack. I'm going to come back to you about the ruling and what you what you thought of it. Sure. But if you didn't become a lawyer, you spent you spent 50 years doing it. What do you think? you? What else would you have done? You, you would have probably been great at a lot of different things. Well, we ruled out being a doctor because I can't take blood. Uh, so uh, <laughs> that, that's not an option. And, you know, my I think my mother would have liked me to be, you know, a Jewish lawyer, but uh, a, <laughs> a Jewish doctor, but I turned out to be a Jewish lawyer. Uh, so uh, Trust I me, I know you're you're only a quasi black sheep. I'm the full black sheep, but you're <laughs> you're, you're you're the half black sheep. But uh, yeah, I could see Jack. I could see you being. um chairman and ceo of like general electric you didn't want to go down the business route i could have seen you doing that i'm a terrible i'm a i'm a good lawyer but a terrible businessman <laughs> i will i will admit that i'm the first one to admit that That's i need funny people, i need people to guide me yeah it's funny uh because when i'm not working on true crime stuff in augusta we do a daily business publication and doctors and lawyers for whatever reason you're right they're incredible service providers and such but they really almost need a a practice manager or something or other because that's not their specialty for sure yeah, um, trust me i know that very well um i'm pretty good at producing content and uh very bad have been my entire life if you're a journalist you're not in the money game some people are in the money game so uh that's not the field that i chose good thing i live in miami where everyone drives um Pickup trucks. There's no Ferraris. There's no Lamborghinis. And not a lot of not a lot of wealth in Miami. So, uh, well, you'd you know, feel at home with the pickup trucks in South Carolina. That's yeah. Sure. I would. I would. I would. Um, Gigi McKelvey, uh, you were there, obviously, um, for the actual the real trial. So, what was it like to see these jurors back in action? Um, this time, you know being questioned by the judge, which is unusual, but what, what was it like to see that and see their reactions? I think the jurors seemed very resolved in their verdict they gave almost a year ago. I didn't get any sense that anybody was overly nervous. Maybe juror Z, the very first one that said that, you know, she felt like that Becky Hill's comments influenced her verdict. 
But even with her, you know, it wasn't just this overwhelming thing. They were a great jury. They were really attentive, even when it got thick in the weeds with the financials. And like, I was struggling to keep my eyes open at times during that stuff in the trial. It's not that it's not important, but I suck at math. So you're just speaking Greek when you're talking all these numbers. But it was it was weird to see them back. Just, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that every juror that got on that stand when they... To, look, to be sitting there with Alec Murdoch looking at you, knowing that you gave him that verdict that puts him away for life, has to be very intimidating to get up there and just reaffirm what you decided a year ago is still what you feel. So I think they did great. And, you know, they weren't up there long. It was a, sort of an in and out thing. If you watched, it was maybe three minutes or less per, per juror. And uh, I think they did a great job. You know, hopefully this is all over. although. We'll see. I'm sure it's going to be appealed um, and sent, sent to a higher court for sure. Uh, there's no doubt about that. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, as a matter of fact, I have that question pulled up uh, for Jack uh, next. But um, Neil, to you, what is, what, what is your current relationship with Becky Hill? I mean, this was a really odd um, outlier experience. You guys basically, uh, you're, you've got the publishing background, so you agree with her to write this book. It all happens and then this thing completely blows up in a way that no one expected it to. Um, and now she's the center of this negative uh, media, you know, attention. So what is your current relationship with her? Well, we, we waved at each other in the courtroom. Um, Jack and Gigi probably recall her attorneys kind of ushered her out in between the time Judge Toll said she was going to think about the verdict and come back. So she kind of passed right by me and we waved. I hugged her husband's neck earlier because he's just a salt of the earth guy, Tommy Hill, just a steady, solid, you know, I mean, I've never shared this before, but, you know, if we never would have written a book, he would have been okay with that. Just kind of living the normal life, both of them kind of just working for the government and all. So I, I kind of felt, you know, empathy for him. Um, and of course, I, I, I love and care about Becky. She knows that. She knows my wife, Melissa, does, and our, our daughter, Lindy. We just haven't really had a chance to really sit down and and talk because I have a lot of questions. I mean, I don't understand a lot thing. I learned things yesterday, you know, from her on the, on the stand that I didn't know about. So give me an um, example. Give me what, what did you learn that you didn't know? Well, um, apparently, uh, well, I thought that her, I guess I thought her relationship with the, uh, the Barnwell clerk of court was maybe a little stronger in terms of a friendship, not that the Barnwell clerk of court wouldn't be honest, but I guess I was surprised that she was up there testifying and I had no idea, you know, this is what Rhonda McElveen said. I had no idea that Becky drove a juror perhaps home with the bailiff. And then when she was asked, um, I, I, was it by the judge that asked her, no, or maybe it was Dick also, and she denied that. So I had I had no knowledge either way of whether she did or didn't. That just came out of the blue for me. Um, 
So, you know, a couple of things. You, that, when you yeah. heard that, though, I mean, I've got to ask, when you heard that, uh, have you had a moment um, in recent days where you started to kind of second guess your decision um, to partner with her that she may not have been completely transparent with you um, during this process? Yeah, you know, they say it, it's so interesting. I was talking about trial watchers and people that are on social media. Well, people are active on social media. And I started to defend her right after the press conference that Dick held on September 5th. And I said, listen, everything that I know about her, she is a woman of grace and hospitality. People love her. She has high integrity from everything that I've seen. And that was all true. But a number of people said, wait a minute, you don't even really know her. You've really only known her six months. And they're right. You know, maybe it does take longer to truly know somebody that, say, you would have known, we've known them for 20 years, perhaps. Um, I don't regret at all the experience. I mean, you know, I've been grinding away on a day-to-day -day basis, pumping out stories and doing journalism, and I've never had an opportunity to write a book before, never thought that I would. So it was an honor to be asked to do so. It was an honor to work on it with her. Do I regret how I kind of got caught up in all of this, through, really through no fault of mine? Of course. Do I regret that a chapter was plagiarized? Of course. Um, but I don't regret meeting all the people along the way and um, just friendships. Um, you know, we went to Greenville and had a wonderful dinner with Gigi after a podcast. I mean, those are, you know, those are just kind of things you just will always remember. It's just really nice. And, um, and, you know, and hopefully, you know, I'll have another opportunity and it's in progress. And so, um, and I, and I wish her nothing but the best. And I'm going to come back to you on some of the things you mentioned to follow up on. Gigi, what about that interview? You interviewed her on Pretty Lies and Alibis. Could you ever anticipate um, that you'd be finding out that she plagiarized a portion of the book from a uh, BBC reporter, that she'd be the center um, of all this controversy? Is it something that you ever um, could have envisioned? Because people describe her um, in such a different way, like that she doesn't have this... You know, that she's just basically a down-home country girl, to use a Gigi McKelvey expression. That there's no, there wasn't really m much in it for her other than sort of her elected position and doing her civic duty. But now it appears there was more uh, involved. Yeah, and look, uh, you know, I talked to several people yesterday that were at the trial for the entirety last year. None of us take pleasure in seeing the position she's in, but however, it's a position she put herself in. So the person that Becky was to me has always been very kind-hearted. She took care of everybody at the trial. If we needed something, she took care of it. She would ask us, do you need stuff? On the same token, I think Judge Toll was right yesterday that it just got to her, the, the, the bigness of this trial and how it, you know, she was seen as the host with the most. And I think that that can be intoxicating, you know, to somebody who, Works in Little Walterboro. It's a great little quaint town. I have some history there in Walterboro. Wonderful people. But the eyes of the world were on that, that place. And she was sort of the forefront in the media 
you know, with with a lot of things. And and unfortunately, it's just it's just a story where somebody let things kind of run away with it. You know, it, it got to her. Um, and and I hate it, but I'm also a fan of the justice system and the other investigations that are going on, you know, letting those play out. And if things are proven, then I mean it's kind of what we do every day, you know, there's actions and consequences. So it was hard just on a personal level because she's never been anything but kind to me. But on a judicial side and the enormity of of the case we're talking about and what went into putting on that case and the fact that that all could have been kind of for nothing if a new trial was granted, you know, then you don't feel so sorry for somebody. But um, yeah, so hopefully we'll get answers to other things soon and and really see the scope of this because what we've heard is being investigated. I mean, this pretty serious allegations. So I'm just curious to see in the future what's going to happen. But, you know, I'm not somebody that's sitting here like celebrating the fact that it was a difficult day for Becky on the stand, but you know, it, it is what it is. And you kind of put yourself in that situation. So you, you, you got to answer for it. Uh, well said, uh, by the way, everyone's commenting about what a great team Gigi and uh, the COE are. Maybe there is a uh, once mm -hmm. a week show uh, brewing on YouTube. You, did you hear that COE? She said she's down. Um, Heck yeah. Who is the, who is the COE? I've heard the of C a CEO. This is the COE. This is, uh, that's my wife. She runs the show. Uh, she runs the show. She's uh, behind, behind the scenes, but should be in front of the scenes. And so we're going to get her on. It's just um, the COE, uh, it's a chaotic world. You have three kids under 10. It's a lot of chaos. And so she's like, yeah, I'm going on with Gigi. And uh, I'm a more measured human being. So I'm like, do you have your thumbnail ready? Things of that nature. So we're going to get it all together and organized. But maybe, I don't know, the, the, the COE and uh, GG. It even rhymes. I love it. Um, Rosemary Romero here uh, to Jack Swirling. How long, uh, Jack, does the uh, appellate process take for Alec Murdoch? How long is it going to take uh, to get news out of that neck of the woods? Well, I think it's going to be pretty protracted. I don't think there's any end in sight uh, in the near future. Uh, Justice Toll will go ahead and issue a written order. Uh, I would imagine that uh, Hartutley and Griffin will go ahead and appeal that. Uh, there's already an appeal filed from the conviction uh, from last year. Uh, my question is, I, I would think that the Supreme Court or the Court of Appeals first will go ahead and consolidate those uh, two appeals, uh, the motion for a new trial being denied and also the murder conviction. Uh, so we have once our first step is court, the Court of Appeals. Uh, and that I think you have to easily expect, uh, especially with the complexity of the trial and the length of the trial, it's going to take two, two and a half years to go ahead and get an ultimate resolution there. Uh, from there, no matter who actually wins or prevails in the Court of Appeals, the other side has a right to go ahead and petition for certiorari to the South Carolina Supreme Court to review that. Uh, so if it's, and I would think it's going to be granted because, again, it's a very complex case and a very long trial. So you talk about possibly there another two years uh, at, at the Supreme Court level. Uh, and then I was asked today about where does it go from there? Well, uh, if there's a federal question or constitutional issue, then 
from if they lose all the way, if the defense loses all the way, then they would probably consider trying to file a writ of habeas corpus in the federal district court. Uh, and that's going to add a couple of years on. So you could be talking about between five and six years before there's an ultimate resolution, a final resolution of the case. And after the uh, and Jack, after those five or six years, uh, do you envision potentially a new trial or do you think that uh, the buck stops with Judge Toll? And also because Judge Toll presided uh, on the uh, South Carolina Supreme Court, does she carry sort of extra weight in the decision making process? Well, I mean, people are going to certainly give her respect uh, for her intellect and her ability. Uh, And she sat with the other members of the Supreme Court for several years, uh, overlapping with different ones over the period of time. So they know her. We all know her in the state and all respect her, uh, particularly her ability, legal ability. Uh, so I imagine they're going to go ahead and give deference to her. Uh, I would, the chief justice appointed her, and I can't think of a better appointment to go ahead and hear the motion for a new trial uh, because they sat together on the Supreme Court, Justice Beatty, Chief Justice Beatty and uh, Judge Toll. So uh, I would think that there's going to be uh, some uh, given some weight to what she uh, ruled in this case. Uh so you have that. That's the one issue that's going to be brought up on appeal is whether or not. And I think the big issue is going to be what is the burden of proof? Uh, what did the defense have to show? Uh, the defense was arguing that all they had to do was raise the fact that there was contact with the jury by Becky Hill. And there was a presumption of prejudice, which was a case decided in the U.S. Supreme Court that it's presumed that there's prejudice. And then the burden would shift to the state to say there, there was no prejudice. But uh, we have a South Carolina case that was written by Justice Kittredge uh, that said the presumption is not always uh, presumed. And that is the standard that Justice Toll uh, relied on, that the defense had to prove prejudice. Uh, There was not going to be a presumption. So that's a big issue that's going to be on appeal. What is going to be the standard uh, in this particular case on the motion, the burden of proof on a motion for a new trial? Then, of course, you've got six weeks of trial, uh, and there were all sorts of issues raised during that six weeks. Uh, you know, I can think of one big thing that's going to be is the length of time that was spent and the the evidence that was admitted uh, about the financial crimes. Uh, that's going to be a big thing as to whether or not all of that needed to come in, all of it, whether it was relevant or not as an other act uh, to prove, uh, you know, one of the elements of the crime. So, uh, I see a lot of issues that are going to be presented uh, to the court, and that's why I think it's a very complex case. Uh, I just as told mentioned yesterday, it took her a long time to read through that transcript. The six-week transcript is, you know, I mean, onerous. Uh, and I've, I've read through several of them. Uh, just uh, So I, I think that there's a lot of issues that are going to be presented. They're going to be briefed, and they're going to be argued. Uh, and so I think this case is going to be around for quite a while. Wow. It is the case that uh, either keeps on giving or won't go away. I'm not sure which. Can you tell us, did you speak to your old law partner, Dick Harputlian? Was he upset with the ruling? Well, I mean, I I think these, you know, experienced trial lawyers anticipate uh, adverse rulings. And I think that they realized when, uh, I believe at the pretrial hearing, which I attended, uh, Justice Toll mentioned the fact that she thought the burden of proof was the standard set out by the South Carolina Supreme Court. 
and that you had to prove prejudice. So I think that uh, Dick and Jim, uh, Jim Griffin, uh, anticipated that the judge would, that was going to be the standard she was going to follow. Uh, and I don't know that they were really surprised by the outcome. I think what, th there was hope there, though, for a period of time, because the juror that Joe McCullough represented, our other law partner uh, back in the day, uh, you know, she had originally given an affidavit saying that she was pressured by the jury. But yesterday in court, she said that she was influenced by Becky Hill's comments. Uh, and had she been more clear about it and had, if there was clarity there, because I think that Judge Toll mentioned the fact uh, that there, she was inconsistent uh, between what she had said in her affidavit and said in the, uh, the live testimony. Uh, had she stuck with the fact that she was prejudiced by and influenced by Becky Hill, it might have been a different outcome. So I think that everybody was kind of anticipating what the jurors were going to say, particularly Juror Z. And, of course, as you know, everybody should know right now, what Judge Toll did is went ahead and gave a letter instead of a number to each of the jurors so there'd still be anonymity yep. uh, among the juries. Uh, jurors. Yep. So. Yeah. Uh, it was, it, was, uh, it, was, it was high drama for there for a period of time to see what the jurors were going to say. I, I um, actually They went from numbers Dick. to letters. Go, go ahead, Neil. They went from I, numbers to letters. You mentioned about Dick. I caught Dick kind of in between or whatever, and I, you know, I don't know why I did this, but it was like a tip of my cap. I said, well played. I mean, I think he did as, as good as he could have with the cards he was dealt to – to Jack's point, I mean, it was a difficult standard to try to reach, but he, um, you know, with his questioning of Becky and then followed up by the judge, it, I think a lot of people in the courtroom wondered because she almost flipped the script. Like she, at the beginning, if you remember in the pre-hearing said, we're not going to make this a trial about Becky we're not going to really make a big deal of it, but she allowed everything to, to for Dick to ask anything that he wanted. And then she, she noticed inconsistencies. And I think there was, um, I think there was some real doubt in, in the courtroom as to how she was going to rule. Cause I think, I think a few people told me Becky kind of made her mad. Yeah. Well, Neil, well, Neil, you, it wasn't. Oh, go ahead, Jack. No, I, I was going to say, I, I think what Judge Toll, or I keep calling her Judge, but she was also Chief Justice. So right. I'll, I'll just refer to Judge. Uh, but uh, she did have some questions about Becky Hill's credibility. I mean, she, she even said that in the courtroom. Uh, but be that as it may, I think she went back and relied on the standard that she was going to follow. She did let. Uh, Dick go uh, and ask all the questions that he wanted to. All, all the state's objections about the questions were overruled, uh, which I think I, I sat there and listened to that because I thought, you know, she might sustain some of those objections, which she really let uh, Dick go and question Becky the way he wanted to. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it all got out. Everything was out on the table there. So uh, if there's any surprise at all, it was the fact that Dick was not restrained at all about the questions and all the state's objections were overruled. Uh, but Judge Toll uh, wanted to give a fair hearing, and she did. Neil, do you feel like Becky Hill believes she's a victim in this, or, do you, or is she 
you know, taking the responsibility that she needs to take? I don't know. A few people that I spoke to um, said, she, I, I don't know that she is because a few people I spoke to said that she should have owned some things where she was asked uh, different things. And I'm trying to remember the situation. Oh, um, I guess what was said in camera with the justice, with Judge Newman and um, the egg juror and Becky, um, people I talked to said she should have just kind of owned that, but she kept trying to defend herself that she didn't speak with the egg juror, but it appeared as though at one point she said she didn't speak with her, but then at another point she said the egg juror shared with her that her husband had three restraining orders, which the justice then said, but so then you did speak with her. So there, I don't, I don't know that she took responsibility. I, I don't know that she feels like a victim. I, I, I don't know. I haven't really uh, gone that deep with her. And Neil, and I'm going to get back to Gigi in a second. Just speaking of responsibility, um, do you feel responsible at all? Because you're the co-author of this book. And now, of course, um, it's been revealed that a portion of it was, in fact, plagiarized. Um, I assume that's a part that she had written and told you she had written. Uh, do you feel like you should have done more that you... I don't know what could have been done, maybe run it through some sort of chat GPT program, but do you feel responsible that this happened? Well, I wish I certainly wish I would have um, questioned her more. I did say, wow, this is, this is really good. When did you have time kind of thing? She said, well, you know, I took notes throughout the whole six weeks and I just hadn't had a chance to really write anything until now. I said, oh, okay. But we had, I mean, um, we had a media attorney review every chapter, including that one. And he had a few questions that had nothing to do with the whole scope of whether she wrote it or not. We had an editor. We had a number of people. So I sure wish we would have would have would have caught it. Um, you know, you asked about a regret. Um, the one thing I will say that everyone has agreed upon about this whole situation is perhaps we should have waited to put the book out. And I think there may be some validity to that. You know, if I knew then, if I, what, what's that expression? If I knew now what I knew then or yeah, vice versa, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. maybe, uh, maybe, maybe it would have been more after yesterday or something to come out. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so Hindsight being 2020, um, you know, I, 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 my wife and I are, are storytellers, and this was a wonderful project for us to tell a story. Melissa did the photos. I was able to do the interviewing and the writing, and mm -hmm. I felt like I did that to the best of my ability. The, the other thing that, that did catch me, you asked if there was any surprises or what, what have you, it seemed like Becky was trying to say or acknowledge about poetic or creative license, and it led to the word lying or whatever. I would disagree with that. I mean, our our interaction in our interview led to her giving her opinions on what she thought about certain situations. 
And then we, you know, I wrote a draft and then she kind of molded it, but I did not feel there was anything at all dishonest. I mean, it was just her, you know, her views uh, in, you know, behind the doors of justice. And uh, Gigi um, from Dom's mom, in order to get rid of Becky Hill in the clerk of court position, um, it's an elected position. They'd have to hold an emergency election, question mark, or impeach her. Uh, what does happen uh, to Becky Hill now, Gigi? Do we know? That might be a better question for Mr. Sterling. Oh, Jack, do you know what happens? Well, I, I don't know what they what they will do and what position. I know that there, are, uh, or I believe, let's put it that way, there's an ethics uh, complaint. Uh, so there's an ethics commission in South Carolina, and uh, I think that they are taking that up uh, or have been. It's been before them for a while. Uh, so I guess they ha- they would have the power to go ahead and make recommendations. Uh, she could be removed by the governor uh, or she could uh, they could hold a special election if she's removed. I don't know that that's going to happen because I. I don't know where uh, these uh, the authorities are going to go if they're going to go any further with her uh, other than where we are right now. I mean, I have no idea that it's going to end up in some investigation of her or some charge for her. Uh, I I don't know. So really. But there are procedures if uh, someone wants to go further with this uh, to go ahead and she could be taken out of office if that's what they decide to do. But I have no reason to believe that they're going to. I'm going to get to this question in a minute, but uh, Gigi, there's so many tentacles with this Alec Murdoch story. The one that's you know most disturbing to me uh, that's outstanding, I mentioned off the top, is the, the murder of Stephen Smith. It was declared a murder. Uh, he's a young gay man found on the, on the road. I think it was 2015. Uh, his mom, Sandy Smith, has been very vocal about it. Do we know, is there has there been any movement at all? Has SLED said anything? There were, At one point, there were persons of interest. Um, have you heard anything? Not a whole lot officially. Um, you know, Fitz News really stays on top of that story. According mm-hmm. to some of the articles I've read there, there have been two persons of interest uh, totally unrelated to the Murdaws. And so we'll see what happens. I, I'm not sure what what's going on, to be honest. The, the sled has been silent, which makes me hope that they're working and they're making progress but you know ultimately we just want whoever's responsible for that to be caught but yeah it's uh his mom actually has been at the hearings steven smith's mom she was there friday and she was there yesterday by the way my understanding that is still an active investigation Uh, still active and and Gigi, what what was the response from the gallery to her uh when they people saw her um, you know, people just give her hugs, and she's a sweetheart. I mean, she's one of those people you just want to put in your pocket and take home. Very mm-hmm. loving, warm sense about her. Um, but I, I like the fact that she's there. You know, let her do her thing. Go go learn what she needs to learn. She was there with uh, Luna Shark, which is Mandy Matney's company. So yeah. that was her little press press uh, badge, had that on there. But it was just great to see her in there. She's she's a very warm and loving woman. So in spite of everything she's been through, which is not knowing who killed your son for a very long time. Yeah, which is horrific. Uh, Catherine, yeah. I'm not going to pull it up because I want to ask Neil about this other comment that's on the screen. Mm-hmm. But to you, Gigi, again from Catherine, Becky said the egg lady just talked all the way to the judge and had done the same in the jury room. That's how, according to Becky, she knew about the restraining orders, et cetera. Um, 
Is there going to be an end to this egg lady uh, juror drama? Uh, what, what, what was the beef between her and Becky yesterday? I didn't, I didn't catch all that. Was or was there? You know, I think. <clears throat> excuse me, Joel. I think you just got me sick to the computer screen. Um, so, <laughs> no, I, I think that it was just a little bit of inconsistency in Becky's testimony about her communication with Egg Lady and how that whole Facebook post came to be. And it's still a big, bizarre question to me and whether or not it was even legit. You know, the accusation has been made that was made up because there was some inclination that maybe Egg wasn't sure he was guilty. So it, it's all a mess. You know, it's just you try to clean it all up and look at things from a different angle. But that whole thing for me has been one that uh, it's so bizarre with the Facebook post and then they were going to call the ex, you know, I know that they wanted to call the ex-husband to testify on this matter. And I don't know, Joel, honestly, yeah. this, it, it sounds like that the, um, Becky was saying that she never talked to the egg lady or something to that effect. And then it became, oh, but she talked to me on the way to the judge's chambers telling me that she had three restraining orders against her ex-husband or something to that effect. But yeah, it's, it's, that's the hot mess express right there. I don't know. Yeah. And Jack, I know Egg Jack. Lady was two blocks away. And actually, Kathy Russin from Law and Crime sent me a screenshot. Uh, as soon as uh, Mr. Harputlian says, oh, she's two blocks away, I start smiling really big because I knew he would have her there in arm's reach. <laughs> and so she screenshotted that and messaged me. And she's like, the moment he said Egg Lady's just two blocks away, I was grinning because I knew he would have her there just in case. Yeah. Um, how did she get her name? Um. I'll let Gigi tell the story, but it has to do with uh, her being dismissed. Gigi, let everyone know how she got the name. Well, that was when eggs were really expensive. And uh, one of the jurors had chickens and was bringing eggs for all the jurors. And so Judge Newman dismissed her from the jury and said, uh, can we, what do we need to go get from you from the jury room? And she's like, my purse and don't forget my eggs or something like that. And Judge Newman was like, your eggs? You know, it was just one of those lighthearted moments in the courtroom where out of all things, get get my eggs, you know? And so she became the egg lady. Yeah. Well, there you go. I mean, that's how everyone gets a name uh, and a weird, <laughs> weird set of circumstances. Um, Jack, to you, um, should a clerk of court ever write a book? I mean, you seem like a purist and uh, no offense, Jack, you know, an old timer. Uh, were you shocked that, uh, <laughs> were you shocked? I hope that didn't offend you. Uh, were you shocked that she wrote a book? I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? Well, I, I mean, I thought it was uh, interesting that she did write a book. I don't begrudge her for writing a book. She had a firsthand, uh, uh, what, she had the best seat in the house. Uh, she was the clerk of court. And so certainly she had the right to go ahead and put down on in a book uh, her perceptions and her experiences. Uh, everything I've always heard about her, as uh, Gigi said, she's very congenial, very warm, very gracious. Uh, which you do find when you go to these uh, rural counties, the clerks of court are just, uh, you know, they take care of everybody. Uh, when I go try cases in some of the rural counties, they always bring donuts and cake and drinks. Uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's a very warm feeling when you go there. And, they, and Becky Hill, I had under, understand, had that reputation of being very warm and accommodating to everybody. I think it came out yesterday that she was very accommodating to all the lawyers. Uh, all the press. Uh, so uh, this is what we find in, in, you know, some of the rural counties that where they have a little bit more time and uh, to go ahead and do these things. And they want, they want to make everybody comfortable. And I think that that's what she tried to do. Uh, and I think everybody did appreciate it. Uh, it's unfortunate that she finds herself in this position right now. Uh, 
uh, and you know she's she's the focus of the hearing. Uh, she was the focus of the hearing yesterday, along with the jurors. So uh, you know it's it's kind of unfortunate for her because it, she was totally out of place of uh, being the focus of this, uh, and she probably never expected that when she went ahead and wrote the book and and was the clerk of court during this trial. Uh, that she now is the one that was really became the focus of the uh, motion for a new trial. By the way, this is my show, but let me say this. This is an amazing panel. Uh, look at this. We've got uh, Dick Harpulian's original law partner. You've got Becky Hill's co-author, and you've got the uh, South Carolina rock star herself, Gigi McKelvey, who's covered this case. Where will you find a better panel than this? That is my question. If you have an answer, please put it in the uh, chat, and I'll read it. It'll be a wrong answer if you can find a better panel anywhere else. Uh, Waston. Law almost took all my breath away right there. Um, by the way, I'm progressively sweating under this sweatshirt, but I won't do I won't have a, a wardrobe malfunction during this podcast. I refuse to change. <laughs> Mr. Swirling, Counselor Jack Swirling, do you think that Becky Hill's letter to the ethics board was too vague or misleading? I don't even know if you read it. More research into getting approval for the book, perhaps. Uh, maybe all this would have been avoided. Should she have done more? Due diligence, you're an attorney, you know about that. Well, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the letter that she wrote to the ethics board. In fact, uh, I, it would be, if I saw it now, it'd be the first time I ever saw it. So I really don't know what she said in the, uh, her response to the ethics commission. I really don't know. I, mm. I, I could jump in. Um, Please do, Neil. We actually had Jay Bender, who took care of the media yesterday and throughout the trial, um, review Becky's letter to the Ethics Commission, reviewed what the Ethics Commission wrote back, reviewed the statute, and there was one clause in there that, that and it's, maybe it'll get changed or whatever, but it basically says if a clerk of court is not uh, doing duties moonlighting and doing the same duties that she does during the day in her regular job, she's allowed to. So in other words, if she wanted to be the clerk of court weekends in Barnwell County, she couldn't because those are, that's her duties. But writing a book is not her duties. It's an odd clause, but we checked it out and Jay Bender gave us a blessing. We started writing and actually stopped for 10 days until we got back from the, you know, the response from the ethics commission. Uh, Jerry Michael with actually a good question. This one's for uh, the G rock star G money. Was everyone surprised that the, that the uh, judge judge toll Supreme court justice toll put aside three days for this hearing, but finished the hearing well, she sort of started on Friday, but in one day, uh, Poot kept saying, what's the hurry? Gigi, um, I was a little thrown off because, you know, I'd heard in the media them saying three days, something had to start Friday because of a conflict. And then, boom, it was over. Um, were you surprised? Not after Friday, because it was so fast. When she questioned that juror, there's no cross exam. So it's just boom, 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 you're done. 
and I guess, you know, it's probably better to have more time on the docket than to not set aside enough days. And then, you know, nobody, the media, the people participating aren't planning for being there as long. So, I, you know, it's no harm, no foul. Everybody went home yesterday for good. But, you know, if she only set it for one day and we didn't get done, then, I mean, what would you do? So, I wasn't surprised that they put aside a few days. It was a six-week trial, biggest trial this state's seen in a lot of ways. I mean, we had Susan Smith, Pee Wee Gaskins. There's been major, you know, cases here in South Carolina. But no, I, I think three days was kind of playing it safe with the enormity of the trial. Uh, Shout out to my friend Collier Landry, who uh, hosts the Collier Landry Show on the YouTube. Uh, and he yeah. also has uh, the Survivor Squad with Tara Newell. Check it out. What Go ahead. What was Mr. Sterling going to say? He was going to say something about the dates. You know, Gigi mentioned something about Pee Wee Gaskins. Uh, just a little background. Uh, that was a, uh, he was the largest mass murderer in the history of South Carolina. So he was, his case was right up there as far as the uh, notoriety of this case. And interestingly enough, the prosecutor in that case was Dick Harpootlian. Hmm. Uh, the defense lawyer was Jack Swirling. Wow. Uh, and it lasted six weeks as well. Wow. When, when, Jack, when was that case? Uh, 1985. 85. And uh, how many people was he convicted of murdering? About, well, it's 12 or 13. I, I, it was somewhere in that neighborhood. And he was uh, he he ha he was he was serving a life sentence in the South Carolina Department of Corrections uh, based on the uh, Furman versus Georgia case, which said the death penalty as administered at that time was unconstitutional. Uh, but while he was in prison, uh, he allegedly, and I guess he was convicted, uh, went ahead and carried out a uh, murder for hire uh, of another individual on death row. And that's the case that he was eventually sentenced to death for. Uh, but uh, the background, Harpooli and I tried that case against each other. I thought you'd be interested in something like that. Wow. And I think uh, the old Buster gave a, a press conference when he was convicted and sentenced to death. So you got like this trifecta there. Yeah, everybody's, yeah. Tie, everybody's tied together. Yeah, well, yeah. And, it's the and South. So's, Come on, we're all cousins. So Joe McCullough. <laughs> Gigi said that, not to, me. Neil, go ahead. You sat next to Joe McCullough. I, is that right, yesterday, Jack? Oh, yeah, yeah, we sat you, next to each other. Were you near him? Um, my wife, who worked 17 years in the medical field, said she didn't think he looked good. And I know that he had had a heart attack and I know that he wanted to be there. Did you get a sense of how he was feeling and did it create more stress yesterday? Well, I, I, I think it was stressful for him. I mean, he, it was last Monday when he had the heart attack and fortunately uh, he was taken to the hospital right away. Uh, everything worked out and uh, you know, he, but he wanted to go to the hearing yesterday. He didn't get out of the hospital uh, till I guess last Wednesday or Thursday, which mm. was pretty quick. Uh, but I think he's tired. Uh, and, you know, I was concerned about him. And even uh, if you remember, Justice Toll said, you need to go home, uh, you know, and, and rest. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're all worried about him. He's a, he's like my brother, and as as is Harpootley. And so, but he's doing, I spoke with him not too long ago, and he's doing well. Yeah, he, he just didn't look like Joe, but who would after a heart attack? But, you yeah. know, Joe is such a, a kind man. He's so funny. Yeah. I thought a few times during trial he'd get me kicked out of there for making me laugh because he would write things on his notepad and then stick it up for us to read. But it would never <laughs> be anything serious. It was something funny. You, know? right. yeah, you could tell he was, felt bad yesterday, but good to see him because I was so worried. 
Yeah, it was, was a law form of Mo Larry and Curly, Sterling uh, <laughs> Harpoon and McCullough. And Joe was on a panel with you every, most every day, if I remember, on law and crime. Is that right? Yeah, I sat right behind Joe the whole six weeks, and he frequently came on the lunch break with me. In fact, I was just going through my pictures, and he brought his puppy dog one day and threw it in my lap. It's this cute little white poodle dog, and he, yeah, he was so cute. He was like, that's my baby. Yeah, Joe's By the great. way, J Jack's going to be a modest here, but I can tell you right now, out of those three guys, and I only know one of them, uh, Jack is the brains of the operation. Guaranteed. <laughs> Guarantee you that. Um, Mr. Harpootlian, uh, Lee Dundee, says Mr. Harpootlian was both belligerent and theatrical yesterday, Jack Swirling. Is he always like this, or was it for the cameras being on the world stage? Jack, um, Dick wasn't laughing too much when my mother, with her thick Hungarian accent went up to him at Crime Con and butchered his name and also and and mis mistook him at one point for Creighton Waters, which was hilarious. Oh, that's <laughs> um, classic. So that was fun. But uh, is he always like this? Well, he's got a sharp wit. I've known him since 1967. We went to undergraduate school together at Clemson. Uh, and we so we've known each other almost 60 years. Uh, he's got a sharp wit. He's got a sharp tongue. Uh, but he's a hell of a trial lawyer. And so you bring on all together in the courtroom and you're going to have some exciting moments. Uh, so I don't, there's nothing unexpected from Dick Arpulian. Uh He, for me anyway, and we had, you know, we've known each other so long that he can look at me and I know what he's thinking. Uh, he doesn't have to verbalize it, but he, he really is a, a very, he's an excellent trial lawyer. And, uh, but he does have that, he has that edge. I mean, he has a sharp wit and, uh, and he can, you know, he can dig in uh, to somebody pretty well, and he does. And so I think that's what people see. Uh, but don't ever uh, mistake it for not being uh, on the ball and sharp and prepared. He is very well sharp and prepared and a very effective lawyer. And he's very uh, kind. I know by default people don't like Harpoot Liam because of who he represents, but he is a funny and very kind person when he's not doing his job. And um, he's also a politician. So I think that's another reason people don't love the guy. But you, they only know the public persona. Right. Um, well, he's, he, but he's got he's got his uh, everybody. All of us do. I mean, I do the same kind of work he does. So we we have people who are detractors and, you know, don't like us for what we do. But then you have it's amazing how many people really appreciate what we do and come up to us at cocktail parties and you know want to know more about what we do. So uh, he's uh, highly regarded in this area as well. But he, you're right. He's very, he can be very kind. And he and is. Jack, Jack, speaking of cocktail parties, uh, Philadelphia shoulder surgeon is, I'm not pulling it up for a reason, but wants to know if you will come on. We do a taped show called Surviving My Biggest Case. You can talk about your serial killer, but I'd love to get you on where it's just me and you recorded uh, long form and you tell us stories. How about that one day? I would love to do that. I have, I do have a few stories. Uh, <laughs> I would love to hear that, to be honest. Because Kevin Gaskins like, was the boogeyman of South Carolina when I was growing up. Yeah. And maybe. And, uh, then, maybe and then Judge Toll, I learned about her in middle school. Like, you know, oh. I was raised by hippie parents who were very feminist. So that was a big deal when she was elected. So, like, she was a big deal in my house. And it's, I remember we had like a whole week of learning about Justice Toll. You, you know, know very she, historic woman for South Carolina. Oh, she is. She's the first uh, female uh, justice on the Supreme Court. But she also, uh, a lot of people don't realize this, but she was trying cases in front of all male juries before we had females on juries. Wow. 
Wow. So, yep. uh, she just commanded the room. It, yes. it was so, I've never experienced anything like that. She just had command of the room. That's when you know, by the way, uh, that the female race is superior to the male race. <laughs> the minute I saw Judge Toll speak to Dick Harpootlian, I was like, she's proving my case. And this is why I let women run the world. Um, <laughs> my mother and my wife. I agree with you. The women are the strongest species. I do agree. She, with she smacked him By around far. like a redheaded stepchild a little bit yesterday, though. She did. She gave him a little beating a few times. She was like, don't care. Overruled. Let's go. And but then her she, little, she's she very old it. South with that accent. Gerard. She, she knows she can take yeah. it. That's the whole thing. She knows That's exactly right. It. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's not the I first time they've crossed paths. I loved it. The reason I brought up this comment from Sharon Curlin, this is a um, a look into COVID. When I read this, it says Becky Hill reminds me of a gossiper, but I still am seeing grasshopper because my mind is not working. So I'm seeing <laughs> Becky Hill reminds me of a grasshopper. And that is why I brought that up. Um, Neil Gordon, onto a serious uh, note for one moment here. So it was revealed, I think in court, if I'm correct, that Becky Hill earned around $100,000. Uh, that's a lot for a book. Um, I assume you guys are sharing the proceeds in some manner um, of speaking. And so is that figure accurate? And yeah. is, the, is the book still, it's, not, it's no longer available from what I understand? No. Once I heard about the plagiarism on Friday morning, the 22nd, I immediately called Tommy and Becky, and we decided to put, to ask Amazon to cease selling it. What we didn't know is that they had overprinted some copies, and they had it in warehouses in the United States and Canada. So about another 1,000 copies was sold from just before Christmas to around January 18th, and then they've run out. So yes, that's accurate. And by the way, they receive about two thirds, and the Gordons received about one third. So the figure. How many? I'm sorry, I missed you. How many copies did you say in total sold? In total, about fifteen thousand sold okay. in about five months, and one thousand sold post plagiarism. And today, I learned they're being sold on eBay by people who bought one some of the one thousand. But they are. Um, you you. Uh, it was independently uh, or self-published, I should say, correct? Self-published, and we pulled it. So, yeah, we received about a, a third a third of it, but some of that money is coming, and I've, we've chosen to donate the money post-plagiarism to charities. We're going to split it between uh, – there's a Sat Gloria Satterfield um, yes. in her honor charity and in honor of Stephen Smith – so we're going to share um, equally with those two charities. It just seems the right thing to do. And, and you know, it, based on this case, um, you feel for those families. Mm -hmm. um, um, well, it's good to know that uh, in light of the plagiarism uh, and in light of all the tragedy there in South Carolina in the wake of Alec Murdoch, that you're doing something good with some of those uh, proceeds. Uh, we have invited, someone's asking here if we've invited um, Becky Hill to appear on STS. We have uh, through Neil Gordon and uh, she wasn't able to do it. And now I think she's definitely not able to do it. So you're going to have to go to Gigi McKelvey 
uh, for that interview because she's got the magic touch. She had her on. I don't know how soon she's getting her back on, but uh, she had her on. Um, Lindsay Shea here, friend of the show. Um, I think Eric Bland, and this is Joe McCullough, but at one point yesterday, Gigi, um, Dick Harpootlian suggested that Eric Bland be moved to uh, further back in the gallery. What's going on these days? I'm trying to get Eric back on. He's a friend of the show. He comes on quite frequently. But um, what is this bad blood? And there's a couple of questions. Why is uh, Poot so so nasty about Eric Bland? Uh, can you fill us in? I cannot because I'll tell you one thing I don't do, Joel, is, I, you know, I don't know no if anybody's, I don't know if anybody's drama. I stay out of it. I'm too busy. Your beef is your beef. I'm friends with you. I'm friends with you. Y'all got beef, not my beef. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I mean, uh, Eric Bland stood up, got very red all of a sudden and said he objected. And then I just couldn't focus. I was like, what's going on? Because I thought Bland was going to like one arm over the seat and we were going to have a ding, ding fight in the courtroom. I mean, it was serious. Bland was hot to trot, but I, I couldn't hear what came after that when he said he objected, um, but he did move down. But then he, I, I think at some point he was back over. Right. Um, Eric Bland's I, a very nice man. I, he's, a, he's a nice guy. Uh, Eric like comes it. on the show and he's a good guy. Jack, do you, do you want to um, just, I, I don't know if you want to add anything because I know you know Dick. Um, and, and Eric too, very well. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've known Eric a long time. This, I mean, I mean, look, they're both successful guys and, you know, arguably powerful guys in that state. So it's, you know, what, what's your take? Well, I, there's been something going that's been festering uh, for for a few years now. At one time, they were very good friends uh, and their offices were actually in the two buildings next to each other. Uh, but something I, I think that there's been some resentment about what one person's saying about the other. Uh, and some, uh, you know, think thinking uh, one person's thinking, the other person's saying inappropriate things. And so this thing has festered over the last couple of years, and it's a shame. Uh, I mean, I hate that because I know both of them very well. Uh, and so. Just to piggyback on that, um, Eric uh, Eric actually blurted out a cuss word under his, under his breath that <laughs> we heard um, in the gallery. Um, and I'm, but again, judge toll had command of the room. She has both of them to sit down and, and that was that. Well, I hope that customer was directed at Poot and not at judge toll. Cause yes. nah, just toll would have handled that. I'm going to tell you <laughs> yeah. right now. She would have bent him over her leg. Yeah. You, you would have heard that if, uh, yeah, I know sure. South Carolina to say this, it would have been a bless his heart moment if he was cursing at judge toll. <laughs> and, um, and all you South Carolina people will know, go pick your switch. What that means, right? That would have been one of those moments. Go pick your switch off the tree that you're eventually going to get your booty with. with. There, well, there you go. I never Pick heard that switch. one in all my life. But, really? Uh, well, don't, get the small ones. don't get the small ones. No. Jack, uh, since I've been in South Carolina, I've learned that word uh, to get the switch and also bless your heart. Uh, so bless your heart is can be used in so many different ways. I didn't get really spanked as a kid, but uh, no, I can bless your heart in a good way or a bad way. In the Bronx, they say, I'm going to beat your ass. That's how they <laughs> It's a much more direct uh, manner of speaking. Well, when we well, were in the up, South, when in the South was bless your there, heart for this ass whipping you're about to get. Mean, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, Jack, you go. I was frozen. No, I was saying when, when your dad grew up in the Bronx and when I grew up in the Bronx, we didn't know from guns. That was a different thing. Yeah. Uh, yes. That's the difference between the North and the 
the South when I came down here in the early 60s, uh, you know, uh, finding out that you can get a pistol just with your driver's license, uh, that was a little bit different uh, than I was used to in my growing up period. Yeah. My, my, my beautiful dad never really was one to curse, even though he was from New York. However, his, um, now English speaking wife, uh, of 60 something plus years, uh, she loves expletives. She learned them all when she came to America. Um, and they are, uh, words that she uses often. Um, <laughs> did, uh, did Dick Harpootlian, um, here, Jack Swirling. We'll start to wrap up in a little bit. Did he regret bringing in Jersey's affidavit? Do you think it was like he scored on his own goal? He had won the argument before that. Well, I I, I think that uh, you know they they went ahead and got the affidavit. I think it was sometime back in August, uh, and I think that based upon what her they didn't know what her testimony was going to be. I you know I think that they assumed that it was going to be sticking to the affidavit. And then when she came forward uh, and said that she also was persuaded uh, by uh, Becky Hill's comments and conduct, uh, I think that they wanted to go ahead and make sure that there was at least some corroboration of what she had testified to. Uh, and, but it was only part of it. I mean, because the only thing in the affidavit was that uh, she went ahead and outlined all the things that she said Becky did and, and said. Uh, but she said that she was actually persuaded by the pressure of the jury. So I think that that was just a tactical move to go ahead and make sure that part of her testimony was at least corroborated. Uh, and that, that's what I think was going on at that time. Uh, what, what did Madison you think Cox. about the comment where she, the same juror said that the, the jurors had discussed the case before deliberations? I thought that was kind of a big deal, but it really wasn't something that was, you know, latched on. Well, you're right. And uh, that is surprising. I mean, I, I wonder what everybody was thinking about the state and, uh, you know, the defense at that point, because you're not supposed to deliberate before uh, you get the instructions by the court and all the evidence is. But it seemed that nobody really concentrated that on it on that issue. Gigi. Yeah. Right. Uh, good, it's not to be a bit, though. Yeah. Good bit. Madison Cox, I pre-ordered your book, Joel. Uh, I'm bringing this up now because Madison brought it up. But uh, Jack Swirling. I think you would get a kick out of this, Jack Swirling. Yeah. I have a book out now. Um, it's Conversations with My Holocaust Survivor Mother about uh, life and death. Um, it's her story, but it's also uh, about her losing my father and her husband is 63 years. And it's about, um, it's about life. And it's about being positive and overcoming all the hardship that everyone goes through. But um, there's a uh, dysfunctional side of the book. And uh, it's got a ton of humor because my mom has always gone through life with a ton of humor. And uh, I would love to get you a uh, maybe I'll have you fork out the pre-order and then I'll get you a copy that's signed once it's out there. But uh, it's available on <laughs> Amazon. And look at this, Jack Swirling. This Sunday, 5 p.m. on STS, we've got Mitch Album coming on. He inspired wow. me. We, we both went to Brandeis. Yeah, we both went to Brandeis University. Oh, wow. He was a journalist. I was a journalist. He sold 40 million copies of his books. I've sold about four so far. <laughs> and Two um, days, five. Two I'll take one. Glory. I'll take one. Thank you, Jack. Um, but yeah, uh, Mitch Album is coming on. We're gonna his new book, by the way, is about the Holocaust, which is why uh, one of the reasons. And he was kind enough 
after I literally stalked him to write a blurb uh, for the book. And I just got the what they call the wrap of the book, which is the back cover with his blurb on there. And so um, he is coming on the show and it's going to be the worst crime ever committed against humanity, at least one of the worst, the Holocaust. We're going to talk about his book um, and we're just going to get into writing and how he became. He says he accidentally became one of America's most, um, you know, beloved writers. And so a uh, huge get for us on STS. And I hope everyone will join us uh, this Sunday. And I am trying to now take that off and I can't seem <laughs> to move. I'd, to lo- I'd love to have a copy that we have, we have a common background. So I think it would be very interesting for me to yeah, read. I think, I think, uh, I think mm-hmm. Jack will get a kick uh, out of the book. Um, Jack, everyone keeps asking, how is Alec Murdoch? How in the world is he paying Dick Harpootlian and uh, Jim Griffin, who charge a lot of money. Do you have any idea? It's the best kept secret in South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. And you know that. You know the answer to that secret, but you're keeping it a secret, I think. Well, I don't know all the details, but I can tell you that they're not working for nothing. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know where it's coming from, but uh, I, I know the fees that they both charge, and uh, they've, they've invested uh, you know, a good part of their life uh, in the last couple of years to this case, so... Uh, I, I just, I, I probably would be revealing something I probably shouldn't be revealing, but, but I'm, I'm just saying that they're not, they're not working for nothing. I could tell everybody that COVID brain does weird things to you. Cause right now I literally have an image of both Jim and Dick in their undershirts, sweating profusely digging underneath Alec Murdoch's Moselle property for all that money. <laughs> and that's how they're paying themselves. But I that really hope is a visual. I will never forget. Yes. Which is exactly why I presented it. But I hope that, um, I hope that that is not the, uh, the case. Um, no. Neil know. Gordon, I guess my question to you, and then we'll start to close out. Um, you know, I know you're going to be working on more projects cause you're a, a publisher and a writer. Um, do you have to be more careful, um, in your next venture, just moving forward. Is this, was this a learning lesson for you? It is a learning lesson. And, and I chose the, for the next book trial watchers to make it kind of an anthology, meaning I'm going to write several chapters, but I've recruited others, a media psychologist to, to write one, someone who's a administrator of one of these Facebook groups, um, Someone who has followed uh, life imitating art, the movies related to true crime is going to write. So we're we're getting different voices in it. So it'll be a little bit different. And yes, we're we're going to try to put everything through AI software. Uh, But if you go to trialwatchers.com, you can have a preview of the book. And then we have an extended trailer, a sizzle reel, about 10 minutes on um, some interesting trial watchers. And uh, I mean, just real briefly, it's kind of a, a sad story. And I don't, I don't even know if um, a Gigi or if, if uh, Jack, if you remember seeing, there's a couple sisters that were there half of the trial and they're uh, back in Walterboro and they are there uh, yesterday. And, we, we learn not only do they like to take road trips together and have a lot of fun, but when they were 21 years old, their father was murdered back in Atlanta. And the, the person responsible who they believe did it was never convicted. 
And so they go to these trials to seek the justice that they never got. And there's so many of those stories, you know, you just think people come to the courtroom because it's interesting, and it is. But some people are, you know, come because they were empathetic towards Buster Murdoch or because they want to put the puzzle together because they're kind of like, you know, maybe they studied it in school and they never became a lawyer, but they're interested in it. So that's kind of the concept. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It is. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. But, you know, I think the one thing to 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 remember is a lot of times these cases like Adelson or Murda take a life of their own. Like at the, at the end of the day, there are victims that lost their lives in such a brutal way. And it's easy to get caught up in the theatrics of all this mess. But like, I think as a true crime community, just what he was talking about, these people just, you know, some people never get justice. But like the victims need to be first. And that's why I hate to see so much infighting in the true crime community because it's so counterproductive to what we should be focusing on, which are these victims and their families. So I was just thinking about Paul and Maggie sitting here and thinking, you know, man, it's been a while since like we've heard their names mentioned with this case and this case is about their lives. So, man, it's just crazy how things take on a whole new life. Um, no matter what happened, it's tragic, no matter what happened. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it's such a good point because we always talk about it and always become, and by the way, there's no better case study. And I think Jack will agree that uh, truth is, in fact, stranger than fiction than when you look at the Alec Murdoch trial. But it is true. At the end of the day, this wife and son were murdered. And, uh, you know, we get caught up in all kind of the minutia and all the other ancillary details. And it really is and really should be about the victim's. I get lost in that. I know a lot of other people get lost in that. And uh, look at this. Just as I was saying something nice and calming myself down, Joel does not show much appreciation for that. I would just like to take this opportunity to thank my gorgeous, beautiful, but much more importantly, intelligent. By the way, I say this. You can ask my dear mother. Before any, the first adjective I always use with my wife is incredibly smart she has got a an einstein level iq as does her brother who is space coast off the charts intelligence literally off the charts intelligence uh, i'm talking um if properly applied as it was by some of the siblings uh, they would have all been at the top of the top ivy league schools top of the charts intelligence but my wife, without my wife, I would literally be nowhere, even though she told me that I'm losing my mind to take a deep breath and you're out of your mind. That's what she said to me prior to the show, but I don't mind bringing up some, uh, look at, look at, look at Gigi. She's like, what the hell is going on here? Sure. By the way, I read an article just to wrap things up and then we'll get very, very quick uh, closing thoughts. There's an article in the state, South Carolina paper about Becky Hill and her kind of her her rise up and that the headline was corrupt or naive small town darling Becky Hill is a surprising centerpiece of the Murdoch retrial efforts. The question they raised was she corrupt or naive in high school. Her name was Becky Ayers, H E I R S. She was a Walter Burrow high school, the same town. She was a uh, miss 1985 Miss Walterboro winner as a 17-year-old Walterboro High School student. Uh, Two years after high school, 
Um, not the way we do it in New Jersey, but the way they did it in South Carolina in the mid 80s. Two years later, she was married to her high school sweetheart. Um, and then 2020, she wins this clerk of uh, court election and uh, she's a cancer survivor. Uh, she had colorectal cancer. She was a National Honor Society member at one point in high school. Her middle school teacher uh, ranted and raved about her. So um, it goes without saying she accomplished a lot and had a lot of um, accolades. Neil Gordon, of course, her co-author. Uh, Neil, do you think, to uh, close out with this question, do you think um, she is corrupt or naive or is there something else going on? And your final thoughts, and please tell us about uh, the name of your project one last time. Oh, that's kind of you. Um, it, the choice of the two, definitely naive. Um, small town, hospitality, grace. Um, is it, She's very talkative and likes to make people feel comfortable, maybe overshares some. Mm, yeah. And um, Space Coast, that's hilarious, by the way. Keep going, Neil. Oh, that's okay. I, I participated in that article. Morgan was the writer, and I thought it was uh, – I thought, well, thank you, Heidi. Wow. Very kind of her, Heidi yes. Miller. Um, I, I would say that um, it was an interesting article, and it was telling to me what she just read. She was a beauty queen at age 17, and – She's always kind of, I think, enjoyed the spotlight. I thought that was just kind of an interesting way to begin begin that story. And I thought it was a really good profile that, uh, you know, so many people uh, said a lot of nice things, tried to give a different perspective of, of, of Becky. Um, and again, our project, trialwatchers.com. I appreciate you allowing me to just go onto the website. There's plenty of information. If I could ask Jack a question, actually, that was asked of me and I didn't know yesterday, some people came up to me and said, she met, Becky may have perjured herself. Now, who knows who was saying, who was, you know, telling the truth or not. But have you ever been in a case where someone testified and perjured themselves? And I mean, if that's the case, I mean, could she be fined? Could there be some kind of uh, jail time? What What do you think about that? Well, I mean, we you know obviously if you testify under oath and it's uh, it, but in order to go ahead and make bring a perjury indictment, and I talked to the state newspaper about it this morning. Uh, in order to do a perjury indictment, the state has to prove that you knowingly made a false statement. Uh, the statement was truly false and it was material. Uh, so it's not easy. I mean, uh, in many trials, somebody is not telling the truth. Uh, many hearings, somebody's not telling the truth. But there's very few perjury prosecutions because it's difficult to go ahead and meet that standard. Uh, so, I mean, I, I hope that she does not. Uh, it doesn't get to that point. Uh, and, you know, I, as far as, as Becky's concerned, I mean, I, as I said, everything I've ever heard about her, she was very sweet and warm and accommodating. I think she got thrown into the limelight. And, you know, I'm one of these individuals after being so involved in this system for so many years. I just tell people not to throw stones at somebody unless you've been in their place uh, and had to deal with the same things they were dealing with. So, uh, you know, I, I have no negative feelings about her. Uh, you know, Justice Told made a ruling on the case, and the ruling was not about her, uh, but the ruling was about the burden of persuasion. Uh, so there was no 
there's nothing about that ruling that uh, in any way anybody should take away from that, that uh, Becky Hill was, uh, you know, tainted from that, it, because that's not what the ruling was. The ruling wasn't based on that. It was based upon the burden of persuasion. Uh, CVS, the longest receipt in all of retailing, just showing some love. Thanks for putting in uh, that work. Gigi, East Texas. Loves you. Who does not love Gigi McKelvey? She's the host of the popular true crime podcast, Pretty Lies and Alibis. She spent gavel to gavel covering the Alec Murdoch trial as well as Lori Valadebel, and she's working on all the Charlie Adelson, Don Adelson stuff uh, with us now. By the way, speaking of that, Gigi, did we ever get a new mugshot of Charlie Adelson in his forever home? We sure did. We did. Uh, Did did I I miss that? uh, Yeah. Um, Do you want to see it real quick? I would love to, and I can uh, I can share my screen. Um, he's got a little bit of a hard look now, Joel. I think it's not taking long for him to yeah. uh, learn the ways of the pokey. Uh, well, let's see this. I'm curious. This is Charlie Adelson, who was just convicted November sixth of um, murdering his ex brother in law. I can Dan share Martell my screen in the state of Florida. You can send it to me, and I'll. Did you? Is it tweeted out, Gigi? I sent it. I sent it. Oh yeah, it's on my Twitter. But do me a but favor. I have it pulled up right here. Hold on. Text it to me. I've been. Uh, All right, I'm gonna text you. I don't know if you've heard. I have COVID. Have I mentioned that? Um, <laughs> I haven't been on my, been on my A game. That's all right. Uh, yeah, Charlie got that hard look now. And uh, TG, if you pull yeah. it up, I can put it on the screen. If you share your screen. Oh yeah, yeah. Let me share my screen real quick. Let me make sure I share. Uh, I share the right tab. Otherwise, you're gonna see I've been looking for telescopes online. <laughs> black black widow uh telescope there you go i shared it uh, uh oh that is a tough look right there um he's practicing his poker face for the big house uh, that, that is charlie adelson um jack swirling i um cannot imagine a worse fate in life than being um remanded to state prison in any state, but particularly in Florida or South Carolina, but particularly Florida for the rest of my natural life um, without the possibility of parole. Jack, can you think of a worse fate than that um, off the top of your head? No, I mean, I've thought about that. In fact, I think about that often when I'm representing people that, you know, this person could spend the rest of their life in prison and it does weigh on the defense lawyer. I mean, we are, you know, we're not uh, robots uh, and we do have personal feelings. And these are the kind of things that I think about at night when, uh, you know, I put my head down that uh, I've got to do the best I can for these individuals because of that fate. Uh, so I still have that in my mind, even after all these years. Me and Joel it's need to not- find a jail or prison that's willing to let us come in for a few days, live the life of inmates, and then we get back together and do a podcast about our experiences. I'm telling you, I know your fear, because it's my fear too, Joel, but like we could go in there totally for like five days and then come back and do a podcast episode of what it's like. The level of anxiety I just felt when you said five days, (laughs) I I could do like, I'll do like, I don't think I could even do a night, but at least not in my COVID state of mind, but I could do five hours, but (laughs) I would like to go up to Charlie's prison with you, Gigi, and um, see what we can, uh, what kind of tour we can get you and I in there. And we should do oh, that. Oh, let's do it. I'm game. Let's, I'm about to send him Ruth Markell's book. I'll post a, a receipt when I do that, y'all. Um, by the way, <laughs> Steve Cohen 
I don't think he's going to be too happy to see us uh, if that's done, but that's okay. Um, but, and I know we're getting off topic here and Jack's like, what is going on? But <laughs> I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't have a podcast. I don't know. <laughs> Well, Space you need Coast one because you have a voice for it. Space Coast is 1,000% right. I'd be um, – Space Coast, you have to come with me, actually. You're actually the one guy I might trust alongside me. Um, just bring a shank or something. But, Gigi, I'm serious. <laughs> and Steve Cohen Steve Cohen wants in on this. Um, I can't think of um, a better wingman than Steve <laughs> That was a joke. Um, Steve Cohen, I love you, but um, you would not be the greatest wingman in the state prison. No offense. No offense to you. Space Coast, I would take. Um, in a weird way, I feel like Space Coast would be able to survive in state prison. Uh, but Gigi, COVID brain is hitting me hard right now, but we're going to talk about I'm going to text you after the show. We should do something. Uh, he's in the Wakula State Correctional Facility. The irony of this, Jack Swirling, is that his own mother, Don Adelson, who's now awaiting uh, trial. She did not want her daughter Wendy's children to be in Tallahassee, so she had a they had a hit put out on the ex brother in law, ex son in law, and now Don Adelson, the Jewish matriarch of the family, is awaiting murder uh, uh, murder trial right now. And uh, Charlie Adelson, who you're looking at. He was a periodontist. He's no doctor, Jack Swirling, but he was a periodontist. He was almost there. Uh, but now I can't imagine his Jewish mother is too pleased. But she's uh, about to go to state prison as well, I think. So uh, that is a Yeah, and, and Dan Markell, do you know, he was like a huge legal scholar, FSU law yeah. professor, just an amazing brain, you know, just. Yeah, Jack, yeah. I don't know if you know the story. I'll send you some some articles on it if you don't know the story. But Jack does know all the stories in South Carolina. He's been an attorney there since 1973, uh, a super lawyer. He started the firm, and he was – and I will say this to Dick Harpool, and I'll have my mother say it to him because I'm, I'm afraid of him, that, that Jack Swirling is the brains of the operation. I guarantee it a thousand percent. Jack Swirling did – Supreme Court Justice retired um, toll. Did she make the right ruling yesterday? When the juror did not uh, stand up and, and say that Becky persuaded her to vote guilty, I think that was the right ruling because there was no evidence uh, that there was any prejudice or any of the... Let's put it this way. Let me back up. There was no evidence in the record uh, that uh, was clear and convincing uh, or beyond a reasonable doubt or by a preponderance of the evidence that uh, any juror was persuaded by her or anything that she allegedly said. So I think it, it was the right ruling under the circumstances. I was muted that whole time. Okay. The whole time. Yeah, what I was going to say is uh, my good friend, Dr. G, J.P. Garrison, uh, he kindly offered to come on tomorrow night. He is one of the best at reading body language and behavior. We've been covering the Michelle Traconis trial out of Stamford, Connecticut, accused of conspiring to kill a woman named Jennifer Farber Dulos with a guy named Fotis Dulos who unalived himself, as they say, while he was awaiting trial. 
Anyway, Michelle Traconis is all over a bunch of police interviews, as well as surveillance video hiding evidence, according to the state. And Dr. G is coming on tomorrow to explain. Dr. G explains he's going to explain her behavior tomorrow night at seven o'clock. So, uh, like G, it must must be something with the G's. Dr. G, G.G. McKelvey, Neil G. Gordon. What's going on there, Neil Gordon? What are we? I want to see if you could see this. My beautiful and intelligent wife just got this screenshot. Dick was making a really important point. And let's see. Can you see the gallery at all? Yeah, a little bit. It's a little it's a little wide. Is it a little bit? Okay. Yeah. Anyway, we're in the gallery and oh there it is. That's the two of us. Oh, there you go. There you, you go. See, we have this look on our incredulous look. Yes. Dick must have Dick must have uh done something to upset the <laughs> the justice there i don't know so well there you go it's always um there's always something happening in uh the great state of south carolina the palmetto state um jack swirling when dick tries to uh go at it with uh eric bland eric bland's a weightlifter just make sure you stand in front i know you're a big guy you're like six five jack don't let him get at it i would have to definitely get him between. Pick him up and spin him around you know yeah yeah i'd Jack's have to get it between all right, before this completely devolves, I just want to thank everyone once again. An amazing show tonight. <laughs> Special shout out to Neil Gordon. Neil, uh, courageous of you to come on because uh, some of the questions weren't the most um, pleasant. Jack Swirling, you're a legend in your own right in South Carolina, not just not just Judge Toll. And uh, Gigi, you're a much y- younger legend in the uh, Palmetto State, but one day you will be of the same stature as toll and it'll be toll swirling McKelvey on the South Carolina Mount Rushmore. I'll be 47 <laughs> this year. So I'm inching my way. All right. Love you guys. Love you. America. Love y'all. Bye. Love you. Augusta. Oh, Georgia. it's at pretty lies alibi. Twitter. At pretty lies alibi. Support GGG. I'm going to hit you up later about trying to figure out something with a uh, prison. I'm down. Till then. Take Thank care. You. Jack, I'm going to send you a link to my book. Thank you're going to you. love it. I appreciate that. Nice to meet you, Mr. Jack. Same here. Nice meeting you all. Good uh, seeing you again, it. Neil. Thank all you. Right. You too, GJ. Thank you, Jack. It was uh, very enlightening. Same Thank here. You. I Thank enjoyed you. it very much. Thanks all, but uh, a special honor to have Mr. Swift. Final seconds of the game, a chance to score and the chance has gone begging. If your business's commerce platform keeps missing the target on golden opportunities, get the MVP you deserve. Get Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're a garage entrepreneur or IPO ready, Shopify is the only tool that you need to start, run and grow your business without the struggle. Shopify puts you in control of every sales channel. So whether you're selling signed football boots from Shopify's in-person POS system or you're vending vintage shirts on Shopify's all-in-one e-commerce platform, you are covered. And once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the internet's best converting checkout to help you turn them from browsers to buyers. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need 
to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US. And Shopify is truly a global force, powering Allbirds, Rothy's and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across over 170 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ranks, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com forward slash ranks to take your business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash ranks. <laughs> 